back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Excellent. Good morning, good sir. <laughs> good Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm great. I'm grand. I'm wonderful. It's, it's the weekend. Uh, it's Sunday morning. Uh, we're recording right on schedule, which is abnormal for us uh, with our hectic lifestyles. But uh, I'm great. Got great sleep. Can't complain. Had my morning coffee. I'm good to go. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. You are. We're both in our new recording studios. I'm downstairs in uh, my condo, seeing if uh, the acoustics work better in here. And you are uh, in your car in your parking garage. Yes, yeah, so, which is also downstairs and basically the the shooting location of one of the movies we're going to discuss today. Oh, Actually, it's not. But very, very good. Yes, that is correct. Uh, parking garages, a common place to film for martial arts movies probably because usually they're like 24 7 and you could go in the middle of the night and film when no one's telling you not to film uh but how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well we had our first performance at work uh, not just since uh well for in 21 months as i was calculating it last night so oh, it's wow. great because we were right before Right before uh, the COVID lockdown happened, uh, we, we clo closed the school on the 12th. Our last day at work was March 13th. We were supposed to have a performance on the 21st, the 28th, and the 29th, uh, if I remember the dates correctly. I could be off by one day, but I suppose that's neither here nor there. And we're talking about 2020. And our previous performance before that was December 2019. So last night was a, a great night. Wow. And uh, we had a post reception and it just everybody was super happy. It, was, it just was a, a really good day for dance returning to the stage. Yeah, And for those that may not know, uh, Gavin is the manager of operations for uh, a performing arts schools dance program. Uh, but I think more significantly within those dates you were describing in March of 2020, we missed out on going to that new Beverly screening that we had already bought tickets for. <laughs> but it was, I think it yes. was March 16th, right? It was that Saturday. And that Monday is when, it L was. when LA officially went on 100% lockdown, everything shut down. So we could have still gone. Uh, but I remember by that point, a lot had changed within that past seven days where it was like, holy crap, the world's on fire. And I remember we, th that's, that's how dedicated we are. We were still like, well, I guess we could go lockdowns mm -hmm. not till Monday. Cause they'd announced it. Uh, but yeah, I think we both were just like, you know what, at this point, cause even already for like the last two weeks, uh, Herman and I, one of our training partners, we had already like for the last week had stopped going to the gym to train with Sugarfoot. We're like, uh, I think this is pretty serious. <laughs> and then obviously everything yeah. went downhill from there. So long story short, great to hear that uh, you guys had that performance and it went down without a hitch, I'm assuming. Oh, it did. It was great. Yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, I'm, I'm still like, I can't think of anything that went wrong. It all went right. It was just really wonderful to have a supportive audience and, you know, we live streamed it. So we're doing this hybrid thing now where we're in person and live streaming. So that sort of thing works. It did mean, however, that we missed out on the American Cinema Tech's Beyond Fest triple screening of Cynthia Rothrock's movies in her Q&A. I thought maybe I could go. I was in full denial. I was even at the point where I bet if maybe I could get out by this time, I could go catch whatever the third movie is. I just couldn't do it. 
and I know we had talked about you coming down, but it just it just wasn't in the cards. Yeah, no, it was it was a tough one. Uh, plus, like as I said, I wanted to stay close to work just because I just finished training the new assistant manager who was doing his first day on his own on Saturday. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to be close by in case. Uh, yeah, it just know. it just wasn't it just it, wasn't the time. It was it wasn't meant to be. Plus, you know the LA trips, a hundred percent worth it for me. But it's also a lot, like because I now you know it's a six hour drive more or less. Uh, yeah, you know depending. So it's like it, it takes a lot because then it, when you do the math, so we'll we'll lowball it. We'll say like I don't hit any traffic and everything's perfect and it's five and a half hours. That is eleven hours of driving in one weekend. You know, it's like five yeah. and a half on which a is, Friday, which is like, five and a half on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's a it's a lot, and when there's a question mark and we have other responsibilities elsewhere, you know, what can you do? I mean, we're, we're both, at the end of the day, we love martial arts, but we're working professionals. Yeah, and uh, the we're, other thing is, you know, you, you think about it, for most people, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I do a weekend trip like that for something fun. It's like, yeah, but you have to remember also, when I do that, I'm also training nonstop. That's the whole reason I'm going. It's yeah. like I always try to plan it where we can do something fun, like a screening or this or that. But I'm also trying to squeeze in as many sessions as I can with Sugarfoot. Uh, so like on a weekend trip like that, for example, bare minimum, we'd be doing two intense training sessions with him. Not to mention I'm insane and I like to do my regular conditioning as well. Uh, so it's like it's also very exhausting. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So – but we'll definitely be doing it soon again <laughs> when, yeah, so when if, the timing works you out know, right. Cynthia, if, if Cynthia Rothrock's listening, know that you could two more people would have been there. Yes. And uh, next screening, next screening, just check with our schedules. Yeah. We'll, you know, check with us first. Yeah, and of course. And we'll, we'll get some great questions from the audience. Yeah, and we'll, we'll let you know whether it works for us because that's what's most important. Yeah. Anywho, uh, do you have any questions yeah. for me today? <laughs> You know, I do. I know what uh, we're discussing. Uh, obviously, our audience members know, but we'll pretend they don't know. Right. Uh, so I had some questions uh, specifically about uh, Yun Biao oh, for you today. Sure. And I was wondering, like, what was what was the first film of Yun Biao's that you ever saw or the first time maybe you saw him on film? Because those could be two separate things because there's that Ooh. first time you see him and then the you see him and then the first time you're like, oh, this is one of his films. Wow, excellent question. And you know what it's probably going to be? As crazy as this is? Uh this movie. Wow. Like and the the reason That's... why is uh and I'll I'll definitely get into this a little bit more uh just because of like so in the the what would be at that point Late 90s, early 2000s, probably realistically more like the early 2000s, like literally the year 2000 uh, is when, you know, I started going to uh, because the reason why that correlates perfect is because in 2000, the beginning of 2000, I turned 13 and my older brother turned 16, therefore had his driver's license. Therefore, it's like we could go to the mall and stuff. And that's where I had more access to go to the mall, to go to Suncoast Video. Mm -hmm. And they had a whole martial arts section. And this was still VHS, primarily yeah. VHS. So they had all the Tai Seng uh, releases. And that's why the year 2000 was very significant. That was also just coincidentally enough the, the year, if I'm not mistaken, that I got my first old school Kung Fu Jackie Chan pack from Best Buy. So that's another place we'd go is Best Buy. It's like on the uh -huh. weekends we were actually going to do stuff. Because uh, all this stuff was like the halfway point between my mom's house and my dad's house too. So it's like on the way there, we may stop mm -hmm. 
at Best Buy or the mall and vice versa on the way back. So it was just uh, the year where I got to uh, have the chance to buy a lot of these films that I didn't have before. And that's the thing at Suncoast, you can order them too. They had the little catalog. Also, this was also around the same time. Once again, because my brother was driving now, we were spending a lot more time at my dad's house. And at my dad's house, Mm -hmm. we had in walking distance. And by walking, I mean, it was like 45 minutes, you know, walking, driving like two, (laughs) but uh, two. Yes. As teenagers, you would would take those walks. Exactly. To get what you needed to get. To both Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. So that's also where (laughs) at Hollywood Video, they had a big old martial arts section with a ton of Hong Kong movies. So that whole era is just like so much. I I kind of equate it to like Neo in the Matrix, how he spends that whole day downloading everything and learning. Like that period, that Mm -hmm. year or so period, I I watched, I I can't even tell you, probably bare minimum, like a hundred something of these classic movies uh, for the first time. And I bought a ton that's, you know, I remember that's also like, you know, the... I got a lot of the Donnie Yen releases at that point, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I know, for example, that's where like I first found, uh, you know, the Lucky Stars films. Uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, not for a couple more years. Same thing with Winners and Sinners. I always wanted a copy of Winners and Sinners because I saw uh, a piece of that in the Bruce Lee documentary, Bruce Lee, the legend. But I remember My Lucky Stars, I got, I rented a Hollywood video around that time. So obviously UNB, I was in that. and I was my already, lucky stars is the my lucky stars is the one where they're in Japan, right? Yes, yes. Or is that the one with Richard? Okay, thank yeah, you. No, Twinkle Twinkle is the one with Richard. Uh, and so, yeah. also, but like you know, and the thing is, it was oh, you know what? I know what the first one was. Dragons Forever. The okay. when I taped it off of oh, TBS wow. at two in the morning, so yeah. that was my first exposure to UNBL. Because that is a, that is a great. Yep, I now remember uh, because that's a great entry point for UNBL. I already knew who UNBL was, right? Because keep in mind, early days of the internet, and like every year for Christmas, I used to get uh, Video Hounds movie encyclopedia, their updated version each year, the, the big <laughs> yes. book of bones, yes. and where all the rating was in literally dog bones and stuff. And this thing, for kids, <laughs> I don't remember. It was huge and thick encyclopedia. This thing was like twenty pounds. Uh, and it had a lot of information in there too. And I would just deep dive and I'd look up a movie, look everybody in it, look them up in the back, look up their filmography. And kind of like what you would do with uh, IMDb now, which IMDb was around back then, but also we had one family computer that took up the phone line. So you couldn't, you know, you had to share it. <laughs> and so yeah. I remember watching some early like Jackie Kung Fu ones once I got exposed to those and being like, oh, was that UNBL? Cause I'd seen pictures of him. I'd be like, oh no, 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 that's not. But mm-hmm. I remember the first time where I truly got to see him was uh, Dragons Forever. So same thing. It was that year 2000 because that was the same night I taped. Uh, so it was Dragons Forever and the Street Fighter. Also, almost around the exact same time, I, cha- I taped China O'Brien off TV for the first time. Oh, that that's that's great. Yeah. So I have, that, I have that, a very, that's a really good time. I have a very weird memory where I remember very specific things like that. I don't know why. It's like people are like, oh, well, you remember the key significant moments in your life. I'm like, is that a key significant moment? Remembering the the, the taping of China O'Brien one and two. And when, then, when you when you pirated. Yeah. <laughs> that's China not pirated. You're from... allowed to tape off a TV, baby. That's how it worked. That's how it oh, worked. That's, OK. So anyways, that was well, a I, really long answer to your question. So, well, it's, it's interesting because, so 
where we were in Japan, there was a, a movie library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like literally a public library for instead of instead of like in America where you go and you get the DVDs or the VHS tapes rented out to you or borrowed out to you, you go to uh, these sitting stations. Uh, and every other sitting station has headphones or speakers in the chairs. And you have a two, a one-seater and a two-seater. So you can only have up to two people watching. Uh, you go through the movie catalog. And you uh, you put in your, like, 200 to 500 yen, uh, which is, you know, maybe, like, back then, maybe around $3. Okay. And you select the, the movie you want, and it'll come up on the screen and, and you know, on, on the monitor, and you'll watch the film. I cannot tell you which was my first Jackie Chan, which was my first Yoon Biao film. It was not Cyclone Z, a.k.a. Dragons Forever, because that one you had to rent, because that one was too current. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't necessarily have current films. They were usually, like, five years behind. Uh, and they did, like, a lot of classics there. So I rented that from a, a Japanese convenience store. Um, but it was either very convenient. I don't, it was not wheels. Yeah. It wasn't Spartan X wheels on meals, but it was either winners and sinners. I think was when I first saw him, I'm like, who's that guy with that like great kicking sequence with Jackie Chan in the park. And then project a, so I know you and I might have different feelings on project a project a for me is like, like a, it's, it's a, like a watershed movie for me because I, I also saw the original language version with a better soundtrack. And uh, by then I kind of, I was really excited to have recognized like Yun Biao. And I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's great. Even though he's like, kind of like a, you know, I don't know what to say, but he's, he's a dick in the movie, but he's not (laughs) dick way. Most definitely. And then obviously uh, comes around, but anyway, what Gavin's referring to is the fact that, and this is actually an idea I thought of this week for a whole episode is, uh, original audio versions versus dubbed audio versions because it's almost down the line sometimes sometimes the like western release dub and soundtrack is the only way to go like i i won't watch the original because it's so much better then vice versa there's some where the western dub slash musical score whatever completely destroys the movie and for me my first experience with Project A was the Miramax release uh, in the like uh, late '90s, early 2000s, which was uh, really bad, like really bad. The the, I, the voice I, dubbing, the, I think the choice even, was bad. The music was bad. It was all really bad. I think there was there was a period where they were where Miramax was doing releases of old Jackie Chan films where Jackie Chan was no longer doing the dubbing. Like he did the dubbing for Legend of Drunken Master, but then he wouldn't do the dubbing for these other films. And so they would have all the voices dubbed as though everyone were American speakers, except for somebody who was kind of impersonating Jackie. Well, and not I even, really just always like, not, not even, even like, like a real for, impersonation, but tried to sound like him. Right. But Legend of Drunken Master is one of the worst. So it's not even if Jackie did his own voice oh, because I agree. they changed I agree. the musical score and the sound effects. Yeah. So they did both, which they yeah, didn't it was, usually do the sound effects. They just killed that movie. Yeah, they, I agree. So I, w- I would love to do that episode because there's uh, there are a few that the English dubs or the Japanese releases with English dubs are kind of fantastic, like specifically the Wheels on Meals Spartan X. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, I think it's uh, when – so my follow-up question to when did, when did you first see Yun Biao, how did that 
changed your understanding of what was possible as a performer on screen? Oh, and that's kind of a, that seems like a deep question. That's excellent. Well, the thing is by that point, it's like I had already read or, you know, seen everything where it was like, and I can't remember the first, maybe it was actually Jackie's biography, the original one, I am Jackie Chan, which I had already read by that point when it came out. And I think it's in there Uh that Jackie talks about how, Samo was the best fighter, right? Like in real life, mm-hmm. like he was strong, he was tough, he was the best fighter. Like they all had all of the skills, but Samo was the best fighter and Yuen Biao was the best acrobat. Like he can do the stuff that yeah. like none of the rest of them can. And then how Jackie was the most well-rounded of the three. So in my mm-hmm. mind, it was already planted. I knew Yuen Biao was the incredible acrobat. So when I did finally get to see him on screen, I most definitely wasn't disappointed, right? He uh, yeah. had that acrobatic ability, like especially in Dragons Forever, the whole finale sequence. Uh, I, I love that where he's like doing the flips on those railings and stuff. You're like, holy moly, and his dexterity and everything like that where he's fighting Billy Chow. Uh, mm-hmm. And he just had a whole different like look and appeal. You know what I mean? Like he, he no offense, he, he didn't have that same like kind of handsome leading man type thing like both, no, both he, Jackie he, and Samo I feel actually had that right like Jackie you know definitely had it Samo had the charisma and charm as did you and Biao but like he was not a looker per se you know what I'm saying no he wasn't and he could have <clears throat> he didn't necessarily have like you know of his fellow of the of his fellow Peking opera actors like Corey Yoon uh, and Yoon Hua both have like distinct looks that help them fit into per- particular characters. Mm-hmm. Yoon Biao, um, I'm not going to say he's an everyman, but there is a little bit of an everyman to him. Also with the way he, I think his acting, I think his acting is underrated because his acting, he can portray super innocence. He can portray fish out of water. And then he can also go hard and, and gritty, which is what he does in today's film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to, I, I did have one more question. I didn't expect us to spend this much time on these questions, but this one is kind of uh, philosophical. Okay. Uh, it refers to, it, it is a, again, with the Yoon Biao theme, uh, Wheels on Meals, Spartan X film. I've been thinking that perhaps the best fighter in the film, uh, the way it's portrayed narratively, is actually Yoon Biao. In Wheels on Meals? And, yes. And you might say, well, are you kidding me? Jackie Chan had the best fight with Benny the Jet on film. But during that fight, Jackie says, I should have trained more. And if you look at the training sequence at the very beginning of the film, Yoon Biao out-trains Jackie Chan, and he deals with Keith Vitale quite easily. So I'm saying that my argument here is that, in theory, in the narrative, Yoon Biao is the best fighter in the film. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say he's the better conditioned of course. fighter. The better conditioned fighter. Because <laughs> okay. remember, he gets knocked the F out in the sequence where they're, they kidnapped <laughs> no. the girls, right? Like, he gets taken yes. care of easily. So, But you're right. He's acrobatic. He's jumping around. Keith Vitale can't keep up with him. That, you know, so the thing I, is, I, I, he, he's the better conditioned fighter, whereas Jackie is going to be the, the better skilled fighter. So I, I knew you were going to shoot that down. I, I even had an argument for why why uh, 
Keith Vitale and Benny the Jet switch switch uh, who they fight at the end. Even though they knocked Yun Biao out, Benny the Jet was like, that was hard. So now I gotta, I'm gotta fight the other guy because that other guy seems easier. Or and then that fight just goes. Pro- <laughs> or an expert of Benny's levels like, oh, that guy's not worth my time. I kicked his butt easily last time. I know. Time. I'm I gonna know. fight the better one. I know. Uh huh. And of as, a, as a final note, I do, well, wanna, I, I do want to say though, is I, re- I so I found out UNBL about UNBL so early, and I wanted to bring this up because of the pronunciation we're using of his name. Uh, so we are using oh. the Mandarin uh, version, Yuan Biao, which is kind of mm-hmm. usually within uh, advertising, marketing, this and that. That's the version that uh, is used more often than not. But obviously uh, in Cantonese. So when you have people talking about him in Cantonese, uh, you know, for example, our, our friend Sifu Alex at uh, the Kung Fu Genius podcast, they're going to use the Cantonese pronunciation of Yuan Biu. Uh, so, but okay. I've always used Yuan Biao, but that's the funny part is I knew, as I said, I knew about him before I'd ever even heard his name. So I read it and I had no idea how to pronounce, uh, his surname, which, uh, the English spelling is B I A O. So when I first read about this guy, I was calling him Yuan Biao. Kind of like a Scott <laughs> like Bayo Scott type Bayo. thing, but I was like, okay, Yuan <laughs> yeah. Biao. And that's how I said it until I finally, it probably... Probably already after I'd seen a lot of, or, you know, Dragons Forever and this and that. And it wasn't until I saw the trailer for the movie we're talking about today that I was like, oh, I've been saying that wrong. Well, in, 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 uh, in Japan, it's uh, Yunpyo. Oh, okay. And like Samuel Hung is, is Samuel Hung is Han Kimpo. And then uh, uh, then they would throw on Samuel Han Kimpo. And then Jackie Chan was Jackie Chen. Jackie Chen. So because very similar Chan to the like Cantonese a, you know, pronunciations of their names because oh well yes, say, but still well, a little like right what was UNBO again Yunpyo yeah so it's more like uh, Pyo, so it's more like Pyo yeah yeah so and then yeah. Samuel Hung's like screen name is Hong Kambo so in Cantonese uh, yeah. Hong Jingbao uh, in in Mandarin or Hong Jingbao uh, but and Hang and Hang Kimpo so yeah when I would sell it when when I first started working at martial law and I was like really excited I had two friends in Japan who knew about him I was like sending I sent him their his autograph and I'm like hey I'm working with Samuel Hung and I'm like oh wait a minute I have to tell them Samuel Hung Kimpo yeah because yeah Samuel Hung is like that didn't necessarily translate but maybe it's time we write some wrongs oh I like that I like that segue so yes today the film we were talking about is the 1986 classic Writing Wrongs, a.k.a. Above the Law. So its original like English title was Above the Law, but it, coincidentally enough, came out around the exact same time as Steven Seagal's uh, first film, Above the Law. Uh, so therefore, it's funny. Like So in Western markets outside of the UK, the film was released as Writing Wrongs. But then in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, it was released as Above the Law because then... Steven Seagal's Above the Law was called Nico, which is his character in the Nico, movie. Nico, yeah, in Japan. In Japan, it's Nico as well. Yeah, so there we go, uh, which I think is actually a cooler name for that movie. But either which way, we're going to refer to the film as Writing Wrongs because that's just what I've always referred to it as uh, in the original version I saw. So my first exposure to this movie, and I had to specifically – like order it. So this is one of the ones I had to order from Suncoast Video. <laughs> and the reason why is I can't yep. remember which movie it was in specific on VHS that I had. It, it wasn't 
I don't think it was Wheels on Meals, but I still have, that's one of the few VHS I've still managed to hold on to after all these years, so I could double check. But it was one of the Tyseng Cut trailers. And to this day, the trailer that Tyseng Video did for Writing Wrongs is maybe my all-time favorite trailer. And I had watched just yep. the trailer like dozens and dozens of times uh, being so pumped for this movie. And then when I finally had saved the like $20 plus tax, whatever, coming out to like 23 for shipping and tax shipping and all that. Shipping and handling. Yeah. I, and I finally got to order it. I remember just – and I, I would show the trailer to like anybody that came over. Not anybody, but you know, I was like – to my parents like check this out this is the movie i'm gonna get or you know like a friend oh check this out this is the movie that's coming <laughs> yes and like everyone be like uh that's nice but it was just such a cool trailer like so stylistic and the music they use and the this mild-mannered legal eagle has got to go above the law and it's just it looks so amazing i was like oh there's explosions there's shootouts there's car chases and there's a crap ton of fights and so i ordered it watched it and to this day i love the movie and it's interesting we didn't decide to do this till late last night i was like i had no idea what we were going to record and it just popped into my head and i thought okay maybe i'll do a little bit of like spot watching this morning where i watch certain sequences and stuff and i honestly couldn't because this Uh isn't one of those movies that would go on my kung fu comfort films list because i have to devote myself to this movie and i watch it because it is so good and it is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, hands down, without a question, of the golden era of Hong Kong action martial arts cinema from the 80s that we talk about stuff, it's top 10, but most, uh, no, I'm, I scratched that, top five, without a doubt. And I would go as far uh, as to say it's the best one that had no involvement from Sammo or Jackie. And yes, I know Sammo ghost choreographed uh, one of the fight sequences at the end. But, you know, aside from that, like this is, this is the movie that we proves that UNBO never got his fair shake. He should have had more awesome leading roles like this. It, it's as, as we were discussing just, you know, a moment ago about how he's under underrated as an actor because he, he can portray so many roles but this this film, he is just he's showcasing that he's not just a leading man, but he's he's able to be a layered leading man, uh, a righteous leading man who has embraced the dark side. Um, and I agree with everything you just said. Top 10, not hands down, like it would be one of the first films I would mention. So it has to be top five. And um the film is so stylistically beautiful. I was yes. actually, so I did the same thing. I was just going to go back and rewatch the fights. Uh, no, I had to like rewatch. I was rewatching the whole film. There were a couple areas where like I was worried about time. So I just pushed forward a little bit, but then I'm like, no, I, I need, I need that information. So I went back and like watched the, the grandfather's death scene. Oh. Um, this, you know, I thought I thought I could skip that sequence. I even watched Melvin Wong put his put his arm on uh, Wu Ma, which is one of the reasons why I put Melvin Wong is I think he's in my top three uh, as uh, all time cinema kung fu cinema villains. Yeah, because of how all the evil he did, but then layered it with like uh, his like speech to the father of of of, a, of the father of a man whose son he just killed. 
personally and how justice will be found. I mean, it's just, it's, it's truly a fantastic film. This is one of, yeah, this is one of those films where you could, any, any one fight, if you have to show a friend to fight, you could, any one of these films, any one, any fight that pops up, if you just did righting wrongs fight and whichever fight popped up first, you could just show them and it's going to blow their minds away. Uh, and what I also love about this film is if you took out all the fights, it's still so stylistically, it's like built borderline film noir. Even the even the sequence in the hospital with uh, with uh, Cynthia Rothrock and Yoon Biao, like the lighting in the background. This is Corey Yoon and his uh, cinematography team were doing things that other people weren't doing. So real quick in Hong is, Kong at that time. Yeah, I don't I don't want to cut you off, but I, this is something I want to bring up. So that's why this film almost is like could be considered and. This term, there's different definitions to it, right? Like Hong Kong New Wave. And you could argue that all the movies from the 80s were like Hong Kong New Wave in a sense. But if we're to, to distinguish between like what would be New Wave as in kind of more the auteurship growing out of some of these guys, like someone like John Woo, Choi Hark, whatever, whatever, uh, as opposed to so like maybe a separation between the quote unquote studio film and some of the, the smaller like independent ones or this or that. So yes, this is a Golden Harvest film, but it has the feel, the look, the aesthetic overall of like, for example, the D&B films, which were some of my favorite mm-hmm. from the 80s, uh, which were, for example, mm-hmm. like Yes, Madam, Royal Warriors, Magnuson Warriors, the Michelle Yeoh ones, and then later the Donnie Yen ones, like, you know, uh, in the uh, Tiger Cage, Tiger Cage 2, in the Line of Duty, uh, like, uh, three, four, uh, five, and so forth. So it has this, it very much feels like one of those movies as opposed to like the big studio Jackie Chan, like Project A, Project A2, you know, or the My Lucky Stars movies. Mm -hmm. And we love all those movies, but this film takes a much more kind of gritty approach. And like the music, I love the soundtrack, right? It's got the combination of more like what would be the traditional like Chinese score, but then it also has like that rock music that uh, rocks it yeah. throughout, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, the the set design, it's got a lot of cool locations that are used. The costumes is very 80s. I love it. It, you know, it's uh, and uh, probably it also has a lot to do with the more serious tone of this film. So therefore, it is in line more mm-hmm. with kind of like the D&B pictures or, you know, even like a John Woo picture. Like, yes, there's light comical moments in this, but I would say zero slapstick. You know what I mean? And when you look yeah, at I something mean, and, like... And it, go ahead. Oh, no, you're, you're right about the zero slapstick. It's, it's uh, like the comedy comes from like the sloppiness of of a cop of uh Koryun's caliber who's right. kind of like a slacker cop but even his even that is it's it's more like a little bit of comic relief for the audience to have a little tension relief but it's also uh it's it's so human and it's almost like a dramedy in many ways yeah it's this, a, a light heartedness it's a light heartedness that balances the dark theme and tone of this film yeah it, the, the the comedy makes it human, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's it's a really good point that you say that this is not a studio film because as as we know we might get into listen I think there are going to be spoiler alerts because I can't not talk about this film without without revealing revealing the version that I like, but even in the even in the so there's there's one there's one version and then the second version is 
some of the key characters live. Right. Well, Even people, in that people version, have had which, th- people have had thirty five years to watch it, so I think you can spoil. Yeah. So there, there are two versions, and this speaks to it being a studio film versus uh, the version that like Koryun somehow was able to shoot. In the Koryun version, everybody dies except for uh, essentially all major characters are killed or die except for Wu Ma, and he's even he's not even like a major character. Uh, in the in the reshoot version, somehow Cynthia Rothrock survives <laughs> that yeah. screw being screwed into her heart, and Yunpyo uh, uh, survives the fall from the plane. But even in that version, the film doesn't end with he's alive. The film ends with he's convicted of manslaughter and convicted up to eight years because Corey Yoon somehow was able to convince even in the compromised ending, he was not going to compromise. Well, no, 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 no. Uh, that's, that's actually not a hundred percent. Is that true. wrong? Yeah. I, so the okay, reason why is, I, he, okay. The, for the, the alternate ending where UNB lives and Cynthia Rothrock lives, they had to put in there that he is punished by the law because that was for, that was for the Mandarin cut, yes. if I'm not mistaken. So they had to show that he was punished and would go to jail for being a criminal. That was something for, uh, certain Asian regions. So there, so, so there are three, so there are three versions. I've only seen two. I've only seen him being convicted and I've only seen him dead. I haven't seen one where he's alive and not convicted. There isn't. Oh, okay. So, yeah. oh, all right. I just thought but what, I, what I was saying though, is it wasn't Corey Ewan's choice to make him be like, ha, he's going to jail. It was, that was a <laughs> okay. studio decision where they had to, to do that. Uh, because the reason why is well, they, they wanted to have one where the people lived at the end for like actually like kind of Western audiences and stuff who don't like their heroes to die. Yeah. But at the same time, this was I believe that is considered the Mandarin cut, which was the version that probably would have been released somewhere like, let's say, any limited release that would have been in mainland China at that time. Uh, it's always very sketch yeah. to try to f- figure out that information and or Taiwan or maybe Malaysia or Singapore or these other regions. They did have to put in there for censorship reasons like, oh. Yes, he lives, but he is being punished. Okay. Well, with all that said, it doesn't feel like a studio film when all your lead characters die and there's no hope for a sequel. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the, the way they get away with the Cynthia Rothrock thing is, once again, spoiler alert, in the uh, ending where everyone dies, it shows her, it cuts to UNBL looking at her on the wall, and that screw is through her neck, like straight up through her neck. Yes. And what they do in the version, for example, the VHS version I had growing up, the English dub one uh, was what would be, quote unquote, the Mandarin cut or the Western cut where Cynthia Rothrock lives, who in Biao lives, but then is sent to prison. And uh, I don't have that VHS anymore, which sucks. Uh, but when uh, but that ending is on the Dragon Dynasty DVD. You can watch it. And so it's oh, wow. I, I can't remember right now if they cut and it actually shows the screw just through her shoulder. I'm pretty sure that's what it does because in the in the version, you know, the original one, it shows you in I mean, excuse me, it shows Melvin Wong like like put the screw into her but you don't see where it goes. Then when Yuan Biao enters the scene and he looks at her, you see her dead hanging from the wall with the screw through her neck. But in the other version, what they do is they cut and it's like they show her it was just through her shoulder. So that's and how also, it's like Do they have they have a different haircut with her and like the place the airport is burning and she's like, forget about me. Go ahead. Right. Right. So there's that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but I mean, the, the thing, the thing with the, 
you know, people are probably thinking, it's just a screwdriver. She could survive. If you haven't seen the film, this, this so-called screw is probably six feet long and probably uh, four, maybe half, half a foot wide. Maybe there, I don't know what the radius would be. The radius would probably be like one foot. Like mm -hmm. it's, and Melvin Wong stabs it in her, into her, jumps off of, uh, you know, the second level down to the first level, pushes her against the wall and slowly screws into her. And it, you know, for those who are, who are weary of seeing too much violence, it doesn't sound as like, well, maybe it is as bad as it sounds, but you know, she, she dies gracefully. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe more or less, <laughs> but, uh, emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's such a, it's such a, it, Go ahead. So we're getting out. Are we getting off track? Cause at one point I want, you mentioned also the music and what I think, and I, one, one aspect that I really love about the, the music just to go back a second is the sound editing of this film. It is at one of the highest caliber. It is one of the highest caliber Hong Kong sound editing films I've seen, not just because of, uh, the experience, but how, when they choose to end the music, uh, and go with the natural fighting sounds like the garage sequence, when Yoon Biao is being chased by four cars, when he jumps aside and the one car goes up and over and out of the garage, the music stops and you hear the metal crunching and the, it's just this perfectly, it's like, it's this perfect sequence of pulling the audience even in further. So the music helps us get the rush of the running and then cut the music's gone. And now he's hand to hand combat. Uh, when, when, uh, Cynthia Rothrock's chasing Karen Shepard, there's music going, you know, high pace. We're running with her. We're feeling it. And then when she leaps off of like the third floor balcony of the oh, mall that's under yeah. construction down to in the air, music stops. And all of a sudden we hear that like fluttering of, uh, of the of her shirt rustling in the air as she like floats down in slow motion and and tackles Karen Shepard and then the hand to hand fight sequence starts the music is or is cut in such a way that it 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 heightens the audience's experience when the music needs to pump and we need to pump and feel the chase it's there and, and when the when it's time for us to be in the fight we're there and cut the music and that's what makes this movie special is the for example there's so many iconic moments of a lot of these films from this era that we think about but th what this movie has is so many of those special in-betweens it's the moments in between the fight scenes and just like you're talking about the the use of sound editing and sound mixing there's also so many great iconic shots and subtle camera work like even the, the you know the it's like it, and the, these are shots used in the trailer and stuff too because they are so uh well done and iconic and framed like even when UNBL Biao discovers uh that uh it's not four-eyed bill it's the the other bad guy is already dead right he's already been assassinated as he's about mm -hmm. to run out yes. suddenly you, uh cynthia rothrock's hand pops through the door with the gun right and it's that slow uh <laughs> Uh, pullback slash kind of pan of them like walking back into the room, right? There's all of these great yep. uh, stylistic choices throughout the film uh, that just help accentuate the overall feel of uh, the entire picture. Whereas, you know, like you think about a movie like, okay, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, brilliant film, amazing, incredible action, everything is extremely well shot, some great camera work from Sammo, but you don't really think about necessarily a lot of the in-between choices, especially because for this film with that darker tone and the more dramatic feel, 
a lot of that stuff lends itself better to a picture like this, right? And you really get to see yeah. that Corey Yun is not just a brilliant fight choreographer. He's a brilliant director. It, it's it's your 100% uh, spot on. I think when we watch uh, a lot of the Samo movies in particular and the Jackie movies in particular, like if we just bust out a fight for someone to watch, like the cuts are absolutely impeccable. The, the camera angle is absolutely impeccable. Uh, and you you watch these sequences and it's these are master classes in editing, cinematography, and choreography. What what's fantastic about writing wrongs is that same attention to detail that was displayed in Hong Kong cinema in the 1980s and 90s is displayed through the entire film. Uh, you know, I wrote I wrote like I was talking about like that uh, ho uh, hospital sequence with the lighting in the background with the with the like the Venetian blind mm -hmm. uh, uh, shadow on the background and how it's a little, you know, film noirish. I mean, there's also like some and you talked about Hong Kong New Wave. It's also like some there's a kind of a French film feel to this to this film. Like uh, uh, I, I think it's called I think it was like French New Wave, if I'm not mistaken, although I might I might be actually mistaken with that, which makes sense as to why Luc Besson brought Corey Yoon over to work on Kiss of the Dragon and the Transporter films. It, it just, there was this, like, you could see this synergy between what Corey Yoon was doing uh, throughout the entire film of Writing Wrongs and how it can translate really well to the French productions that he worked on later. Yeah, uh, and I think that's probably why we get that feel of a Hong Kong uh, new wave movie, simply because of the moments that are putting put into the directing of non-action scenes and like the mm -hmm. hospital light like you were say, uh, saying just some of the the really well-framed iconic shots like even uh fancy wong's death right when karen shepherd kills him right that whole sequence is yeah. so the build-up to it it's and beautiful it's like, we know what's going to happen it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh it's just uh these these stylistic choices that set it apart from just your standard martial arts picture. Uh, cause it's not, it is a like dark revenge driven movie that just happens to have incredible martial arts sequences. And real quick, we haven't even talked about the plot. So basic rundown, uh, Yun Biao plays <laughs> an attorney that. that is tired of seeing criminals get off. And when one of his star witnesses is murdered by, uh, some crime bosses that he's trying and they get off because the only witness is dead, he decides, to take the law into his own hands uh, and pretty much becomes a vigilante, ends up kind of getting in a little over his head in a sense, but not really because he just straight up kills one of the guys first, then gets caught up in this whole sequence. And then of, you know, the police coming after him, the other bad guys coming after him and him distinguishing between what's right and wrong and some like innocent people drawn into it. And it's like, yeah, his actions may have been driven by, uh, a motivation that was just, but in the end, there's a reason why we have law and order, right? And so there's definitely a lot of that psychological struggle that comes throughout the film. For a lot of the characters, you have Cynthia Rothrock as the hard-nosed, you know, detective who plays it by the book. It's, you know, she's 100% just by the law. And then even she starts to realize, oh, crap, you know, it's not so black and white, right? This is a film about the gray area. Yeah of law and order. 
Yeah. And, and how far, and I mean, we've discussed this before and, and, and about, you know, like with R- uh, raging fire where, where the characters live in the gray zone and then have to pop back to their black and white zone. This film is how deep can we go into the gray and how long can we stay there before we can emerge? And I mean, I think even Melvin Wong, you know, as you know, like we discussed the, the, the little speech he gives to Wu Ma after he, after Melvin Wong has killed Wu Ma's son played by Corey Yoon. Um, you know, even Melvin Wong, who's clearly in the black or the, the, the dark side, uh, of, of the, of the spectrum comes into the gray and you actually do believe the speech he's giving. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's a psychopath, uh, or just, you know, power hungry, but there's, there, there's, there's emotion in, in that scene, uh, you know, there's disgust as an audience member because we know the truth. But even, even, what I'm saying is like even the characters, it's not just the characters who are supposed to be on the law abiding side who dip into the gray and how far they're willing to go. And obviously, Yun Biao went too far. And so as he tried to emerge back to the right side, he still couldn't get it fully right until maybe the very end. But of course, he pays the consequences for that. Whereas Melvin Wong dips a little, like even the bad guys dip a little into the, into the right side, except uh, I think quite honestly, uh, Melvin Wong as psychopathic as he is, you know, until the very end when he kills, uh, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, probably the most evil character is his hired hitman played by our sensei. Oh yeah. Perfect right? segue. I mean, my man. He does some... I was, I was literally just thinking, Oh damn, we haven't even brought up uh, sensei yet. So, uh, but <laughs> yeah. you're hundred percent right. So, so this cast, we talked about a lot of the cast, but it was very international too. Right. Uh, so we, we have our lead UN Biao and then the second lead would be Cynthia Rothrock, you know, one of the only Western stars to become a leading actor in Hong Kong during that era. We have Melvin Wong as the fantastic villain, uh, well-established, uh, Hong Kong veteran actor that always played like, you know, Inspector Melvin Wong. Like that would be his name in a lot of these movies. Uh, known most often mm-hmm. for playing like the the lead uh, inspector of a police department. Uh, in this film, this is like kind of his most iconic role in my opinion. And he definitely had a martial arts background of some sort, I think. Like I remember hearing once it was like White Crane Kung Fu, but he got in phenomenal shape for this movie. I believe he trained at Eddie Mayer's gym and you see how ripped he is. So we have Melvin Wong. Oh. Then, as I mentioned, we have Fancy Wong as like the young kid that's caught up in all of this. Uh, Karen Shepard, uh, another martial arts tournament champion who plays uh, an assassin as well, one of Melvin Wong's two assassins that fights Cynthia Rothrock. But then we have our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, that plays the, he's listed as the black assassin. Uh, and he's just... <laughs> Once again, like th- these villains are all just so psychotic in the sense or sociopathic, they just show no remorse. So our first intro to uh, Sensei is he's you know dressed up in a police outfit, which a, a black uh, officer in Hong Kong probably I don't think ever happened. But so he shows up, assassinates the witnesses we we're talking about, then murders the whole family with no remorse. He just kind of he shrugs for a second, like. Uh, it's part of the job. Puts a bomb on their front door, walks away, and they he just blows up a bunch of innocent kids. So you know he himself yeah, it's, it's, fits right into this group of uh, psychopaths. And and you can see like from that from that first sequence where he where he 
kills a family. I mean, he walks away after uh, he after he after the massacre. So we don't necessarily see the, the massacre of the children. So that is left up to the viewer. So, you know, viewers who are concerned about seeing that, don't worry about it. But we can understand that uh, we still see them crying uh, with their dead parents in the room. But uh, we can see why Yoon Biao, who has always had a his character has always inched towards uh, vigilanteism. Goes just all all in on this one. This, it's it's he's he's obliterated uh, an entire family. So Yun Biao, I don't want to say he snaps, but he makes the decisive decision to then move forward. So everything everything in this film, even a, a terrible massacre like that, leads to the next decision. Leads to the next decision. Everything ha- is the str- the film str- uh, the. S- the story structure is built so well that every reaction makes sense to the next reaction and the film's development. It's a vicious domino effect, right? It's just like, and you can't stop it once the ball is set in motion. So yes, there's already the criminal activity, but then once UN Biao makes that conscious decision to become a vigilante, he sets off uh, a series of events that can't be stopped. It's the rolling snowball going down the hill that just keeps bigger and it gets out of his control, gets out of everybody's control till it finally crashes at the end. But Real quick, back to, to Sensei, I just want to say, so he doesn't really have any lines in this film, right? He has at one point, come on, come on, but that's it. But even in that first sequence of his, I, you see just, it is such a subtle but brilliant performance in the emotions in his face, like, or therefore the lack of emotions, right? Like, you know, even when he walks up, shoots them, you know, the shrug, the ah, whatever, and just puts the bomb on the door. It's just such a great performance in that sense. Uh, and then really... Obviously, he was brought on not necessarily because he was a well-established actor, but because of his martial arts prowess and being, you know, at this point already a multi-time world champion kickboxer. And same thing with Karen Shepard. She was like one of Cynthia Rothrock's rivals on the tournament circuit, right? So they brought over these martial artists. Why? Because of something we haven't even really caught into yet, the brilliant martial arts sequences of this film. And... There is a good amount of them, not too much where it's just like, oh, it's taking away from the narrative. No, instead, it fits perfectly in with the style of the film and so forth. And we have so many different little sequences throughout, like really our first main fight sequence would be Cynthia Rothrock's introduction in the Mahjong Tea House, which is a quick, short, awesome Mm -hmm. one to show what a badass she is. We have UN Biao being attacked in the parking garage, which we kind of hinted at before, which is some great car work, plus just an awesome, well-edited, it's just everything in this movie is done so perfectly. Like some of the cuts and the editing that you had talked about, and then the stylistic choices of even the way stuntmen react in their falls and the flips, right? It's just like, ooh, that was a good choice. Uh, we obviously have yeah. the fight scene between Yuen Biao and Sensei, uh, which is great. A great mix of kickboxing, some a little bit of more like karate, uh, you know, type sequences. I was going to say, yeah, it was, yeah, the blocks, like where, where PD, you know, Sensei PD's were, you know, keeping his hands. I mean, the blocks are coming up from the, his like karate, like background, right. they uh, mix it. you know, and, it, and it's, it's cinematically, it's a little, it's it, it the mixing, it, the mixing up of like the kickboxing style with, with the karate style gives, uh, I don't know. Just it's just kind of more beautiful. Yeah, and then even that finishing kick you and Biao does uh, on Sensei's sternum is much more kind of like Chinese opera style. It's a it's a beautiful yes. like yeah. uh, 
you know, almost not quite like a 580, something like one of those kicks, but it's like, then it turns into an ax kick. It's such a cool stylistic choice. Normally yeah. that kick, the foot just comes around in a circular motion, but instead it's like, you be stops mid halfway, then brings the leg down. And it's, and once again, <laughs> you're choice, right on the sternum. Yeah. The choice of the camera angle, the slow motion it's just so well done because once again, slow motion is something that can be abused and not done correctly. Right. But no, the, the artistic choices that you and Kwai made in the sense of the choreography, the editing, the camera speed, the lighting, everything, when it comes to the fight scenes, man, it doesn't get any better than this movie. And uh, well, it's, it's, it's funny because in, in Sensei's behind the scenes interview he did, which is the one thing I rewatched uh, this morning all the way through. It's like, he talks about how almost the whole fight scene made it in there. There's some stuff that got cut uh, but for the most part, but I was like, man, I would love to just, and once again, selfish of me because he is our sensei. Uh, and I would have loved to see what got cut out, right? Just a little bit more would have been awesome. Yeah, of course. But it I also, mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, go ahead. No, please. Oh, I was just to say it could have, but at the same time, we didn't want this to be the, the biggest, best fight scene in the movie because, even like I'd say the next like big sequence with Karen Shepard and Cynthia Rothrock that takes it up that next level. Then we get the finale. Yeah. So it's like everything. Oh, and I oh my gosh, I totally skipped over Cynthia Rothrock and you and Bial's fight uh, in the house. Which uh, is yeah, which amazing. is which is pl- amazing. And I and you might have to correct me if I'm wrong. I, I was watching the the interview that Cynthia Rothrock did with Scott Atkins on uh, uh-huh. the Action Podcast, and I believe. Did she say that she was injured during that fight sequence and had to switch her her stance? Yes. Did she have a knee injury coming in? You are right, and I totally forgot about that. Uh, I would have to go back and rewatch that interview, but I believe you are correct, uh, which makes sense because they were uh, just like fighters. A lot of these actors were like always injured or constantly injured. But I believe that was also why in and maybe this is just coming out of my own head, but in Millionaire's Express, she was kind of static, right? Like she didn't move around yes. as much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, they were constantly getting, and she, she talked about how she had that, that terror, whatever in her leg that she's like never got fixed and just kind of healed herself. Yeah. And, and first off, let's just, let's just clarify Cynthia Rothrock being static is, is not like, uh, is not like any other act. If any other action star, uh, period, any other action star could be a, you know, static, her static is like beyond what they're doing right right now. But yeah, you're right. I think during that, I think during that few year period, she had like blown something out in her knee. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so yes, there's that amazing sequence between Yun Biao and Cynthia Rothrock in the house, which is such cool, like stylistic choreography, the stuff that Corey Ewan, it put him above everybody else. He has these like one-off moves or, uh, decisions he makes that are just so, uh, ingenious and creative. It's like, oh, who would have thought to jump off the wall that way? Or, oh, who would have thought to, you know, mm-hmm. have them turn and then kick like that? It's just these these stylistic choices. That like, And Yuen, uh, Yuen Wuping had similar stuff like that. But Corey Yuen, I think, was the most unique in the sense of just doing cool, creative, uh, ingenious-like choreography moments that no one had thought of before. And it's like, oh, that's cool. And it, it, once again, puts a stamp on his style, which is, once again, we go into this definition of auteurship, right? Or being an auteur. Just like mm-hmm. you can watch one of these fight sequences and almost know that's Corey Ewan choreography. Uh, and I mean that we, in the best kind of way. 
You know what I really like, uh, like about this film is how he builds tension in between the fight sequence inside the fight sequences. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's not always clean, but it's always crisp. And so one of the first things that comes to mind, if if we go back a little bit to the garage fight sequence, when the two cars come hit collide head on, and Yun Biao's uh, caught between the two cars when he tries to get out. His pant leg is stuck on the bumper. Yep. And just says, I can't get out. I can't get out. There, and, you know, there's some of that uh, building of tension in the fight sequence between uh, uh, Yunhua and Cynthia Rothrock when they're going through the through the apartment, they're, uh, and particularly Biao. when they're on the balcony. Yun Biao, what did I say? Yun Corey Yun? Ah, dang it. It's okay. Anyway, he's not in this film. <laughs> but uh, when Corey... When, <laughs> When Corey Yoon choreographed uh, Yoon, Yoon Biao and Cynthia Rothbard, particularly on the balcony, once the handcuffs get introduced, the way the camera, uh, where the camera's placed, it's like you always see uh, the the handcuffs in her hand, but you see the, also the whole fight sequence. But all of a sudden, the focus goes right there, so there's heightened tension. You know, they could have just shot it the way they were shooting it, but there's all of a sudden this focal point, so boom, our attention is there. Uh, Yun Biao's attention is there. Cynthia Rothrock's attention is there. And so, like, then when Yun Biao goes to, like, I'm going to jump off the, the balcony and then he pulls back, you know, since all the tension's there, we move with him and then he cuts back and then he's able to take control of the situation and then he handcuffs her to the, to the balcony. And I love, I love how fast that whole sequence is. And then he jumps and it's perfect slow motion. Yeah, down we, to the ground, lands perfectly. Then he waves back to her. And we talked about the in betweens in the uh, uh, as in in between the fight scenes, like all these like stylistic choices. But what we could also talk about is the literal in betweens of the fight scenes themselves. And he makes such cool choices in like the paused moments, right? Where it could have easily just been throwaways, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm going to show heavy breathing or something. No, it's like these. Uh, these moments, like even the fight scene was between Cynthia Rothrock and Yuen Biao. It's they've done blah, 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 and then it's a pause and it's like a, a showdown, right? It's almost like a samurai showdown or a Western where the two gunmen are about to shoot, right? Mm-hmm. We get them standing off for a second. And he also does a brilliant job of doing the tiny little subtle things that people don't think about, like even the stance of the individual, the lines of the body in frame with the camera. So it's not just where he puts them, it's how he has them stand. So even like Cynthia Rothrock's fighting stance where she has both fists up, like at the jawline, right? It yes. looks like a proper fighter stance, you know? And obviously, uh, Petey Sugarfoot, our sensei, you know, you don't have to tell him how to do it. He gets to stand in his natural stance. And even like Melvin Wong's in the finale, you know, he adapts both that and like kind of sometimes more of like a traditional Kung Fu type stance, almost like a Bruce Lee-esque. And the framing of the body within the camera also comes off brilliantly. And this is definitely, it wasn't by accident, right? Like someone, as I said, like someone like Sensei, you can have him just, you know, do his thing. But then I'm sure there was probably, you know, it may have been maybe Cynthia Rothrock was staying this way and Corey Yuen's like, no, 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 hands here. Like she has a very distinct fighting Mm -hmm. stance that, I feel like you haven't seen from her in other movies. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, what, what, uh, I think even, so like, let's talk about Melvin Wong and his pipe and the, the sequence where he kills, uh, the James actor Tien. I'm blanking on his name. James Tien. 
thank you, James Tian. When he kills James Tian with his pipe, I mean that is pretty that is pretty gruesome. But the framing of it, uh, you it's a, it's shot a little. We get a little more on the left screen, so we actually see you know um, uh, Melvin Wong plunge the pipe, which is actually a hidden knife, into James Tian. And you know, you were earlier talking about how like how James T uh, how uh, Melvin Wong got into shape for this film. Like that sequence, if you go back and look, Melvin Wong is flexing big time because for his forearm is like just mm -hmm. absolutely huge as he goes through the murder. I mean, um, but I mean, just just the way that shot was framed a little lower, and so it's framed for the audience. But then later on, we discovered no, well, not later on, we already, but the kid. The, the witness is in there. And so we see it's actually shot in a way that implies that there are eyes behind the camera watching this. It just it's just really well done. Yeah. Uh you know, just, just these small these small moments. And again, it's not like it's not like there are a few small moments in the film. It's every moment is actually shot with such care and thought. I mean even even uh Yun Biao, when he decides to when he decides to cross the line and uh, is you know climbing along the building, it's a shot absolutely perfectly and, and stunningly. You know, it, it, I think it would make a James Bond movie, you know, envious. Yeah, well, particularly from would, that era. What would make a James Bond movie envious is the actual finale of the film, which we've talked about before because <laughs> the final. So yes, we have the sequence where Cynthia Rothrock storms the hangar, which is, you know, ghost choreographed by Sammo. Brilliant. She fights off all the henchmen. She's using, it's like gun fu almost. And then hand to hand stuff. So amazing. Then obviously she gets finished off by Melvin Wong. And then we have the finale between Melvin Wong and UNBL, which starts off with a psychological battle, right? Like Melvin Wong claiming that they're the yeah. same person. They're no different. And, you know, it's in UNBL's mind. Yeah. It's like, no, the justification of, you know, but Melvin Wong's like, we're both murderers. We're both doing it, you know, mm -hmm. like for what we want, et cetera, et cetera, which is definitely I, there's some truth to it, but not 100 percent, not at all. But then we have the, the final fight between them, which made both of our list of the top one on one fight scenes of all time. And rightfully so, because the choreography is brilliant. It's like it's uh, an amalgamation of everything we've already talked about. Right. It's like. The choreography, brilliant. The camera work, brilliant. The subtle in-betweens, brilliant. The use of slow motion for that, you know, final kick, which may be like the greatest kick One in cinematic history. Amazing. You know, yeah. there, there's just so much to this fight that works. And even like the stunt work, like the falling and the flips and the hitting of the car and this and that. Uh, it, is, it, it, it is just one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. And for anybody that's interested in seeing something that's non-Jackie or Sammo or even like, say, Donnie Yen, someone who's the biggest star on the planet now from that era, watch this one because it has that same caliber. But, you know, we have Melvin Wong and we have Yuen Biao who gets to be the big finale. Like even in a lot of the pictures he's with with Jackie and Sammo, he has amazing moments, but he's not the finale. Right. It's not a Sammo versus yeah. Richard Norton or, uh, you know, a Jackie versus uh, Karatasan, uh, you know, or anything like that. It's we get UNB yeah. hours on full display. He's not playing second fiddle to anybody. He is the main attraction. Yeah. And, and it's and it's, you know, it's uh, shot in a way, you know, even even on the we discussed like the greatest, you know, perhaps the greatest kick on film ever. 
uh, and that's that is extremely high praise and also probably extremely accurate. It's shot in a way that um, I don't think Samo would have shot it, or Jackie, or or a lot of other filmmakers would have shot it. It is shot in a way that fully captures uh, just camera angle slightly lower. Just it just it's just everything is perfect about that shot, and it is definitely. Uh, it's you wouldn't replace the director you wouldn't replace the cinematographer you wouldn't replace the performers if you replace any one of those things you're going to get a completely different result yep and uh it's it's this perfect it's this perfect marriage between these these uh these elements and uh you know you talked about samuel ghost ghost choreographing the the gung fu sequence uh what i like about that and knowing that is when Cynthia Rothrock loses her gun and has to go to fisticuffs later on, it's like, obviously Corey Yoon watched it and was there with it. But later on, he knows he has, he reintroduces the gun because we saw the gun go flying yeah. and then Melvin Wong finds the gun on the floor. You know, it's just, it's, there isn't any element that is just discarded, right? Uh, discarded. Even that and, the kick, the go ahead. Out kick is special because you say something like you wouldn't have seen in a Jackie or Sammo. So that same style kick, Jackie's actually been doubled before, like that final kick in uh, yeah. Dragons Forever, right? But the thing that sets you and mm -hmm. Biao apart is the fact that, okay, yes, Jackie and Sammo had the hop keto training in the early 70s, right, which has all those kicks and stuff. But you and Biao specifically had the kicking training under Tan Tao Yang, Flash Likes Tan, right? So he has more of that very mm -hmm. specific Taekwondo style training uh, that allowed him to pull off that kind of kick. And it's the the setup where you see him go, ah, in slow motion, then the cut to the actual kick. And the thing is, this is an incredible kick, right? And once again, it's like a 540 or whatever, but it's it's not necessarily the most complex, especially in today's day of tricking and this and that, but that it just goes to show it doesn't have to be overly gymnastic or overly tricking in order to be a beautiful, amazing kick. It's all about the way you execute it and the authenticity behind it and the force and the power of this is for reals like it looks like this is going to knock someone the f out yes and it's the it, lighting it, it, the, it, the lighting the the costume design everything is part of that shot it all comes together for this incredible like two second moment yeah and you can't exactly you can't replace there isn't one element that you can replace now you said you 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 hit the nail in the coffin when you said um uh, this this finale is a film uh, has a finale that a James Bond film would be envious of, mm -hmm. and that's because it doesn't end with just this fight sequence. It goes, it takes it to the air, right? Right, like and it we've does got... something that uh, Timothy Timothy Dalton would have wanted to do, or uh, Tom Cruise has attempted to do. Nice reference to the Living Daylights. Yeah, so we've got uh, UNBL literally hanging from a rope from an airplane, which they actually went back and shot in New Zealand, just like the intro, if I'm not mistaken, because stunt. Uh, like for a stunt like that would have never been allowed in Hong Kong. And yes, a lot of it's done in studio, <laughs> but you see the actual shot of you and Biao hanging there from the rope. And from what I understand, he actually did it. Uh, and yeah, so it's just another great, amazing moment added to, to this film, but we really should start to wrap this up where we're about at our timeline. So final okay. closing thoughts of this incredible movie, writing wrongs, AKA above the law. Um, Final closing thoughts. Every element in this film was planned, executed, and uh, is pure perfection. And one moment I think of to, to point this out is uh, 
before the fight sequence between Yun Biao and Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. Yun Biao sitting there reading his law book, which has bullet holes in it because it saved his life before. Uh, and he's watching through his projector a Charlie Chaplin movie on the background. Is so it you get Charlie this cultural Chaplin? reference I'm, to the past? Yeah. It is Charlie Chaplin, yeah. yes. I look cl- and then and then uh, of course it has to be a projector. We talked about the lighting. We talked it so when he turns around and Petey shoots at him, the bullet goes into the book. So he's saved again by the law. So the law is always on his side. He, even though he is crossing over, and even though there are holes in the law now for him, you know, this metaphor still protects him, even though, even though they're now he, you know, they're loopholes now. And then he turns the projector around, hence the lighting, and now we're now uh now we've entered hand-to-hand combat uh scenario. So again, just that like brief moment, which is maybe like a sequence of 10 seconds at the most every element that is that is that we see on screen is it's just cooked to perfection i i can't beat a deep moment of textual analysis like that so we're going to leave it on that uh the one thing okay. i want to say is if people may for example say oh well because you know i say top five film from that era without a doubt people are like oh well you're biased because you know your sensei's in the movie i'm no it's a reverse i saw this film you know loved it and this was one of my, you know, obviously first introductions to Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. And I remember just seeing him and being captivated by him and his skill and his movement. And then seeing him in No Retreat, No Surrender and same thing. And just being blown away by what this guy was able to do and how he didn't get to do more. And this kind of enigmatic nature of him always had me drawn to him and curious and wanting to learn more and mm-hmm. know more. And just being a huge fan of his and always spotting him in these little roles of his. And then once again, I was so inspired by this movie that I sought him out later on, right? So it's a reverse effect. Yep. And so it's just, that's how much of an influence this movie had on me. Yeah, it, it literally, literally, it this film changes changes our lives when it comes to how we look at cinema. And, and it literally also changed, essentially, our lives. Most definitely. All right, my man. Well, this was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a total last yeah, second thing that I think came out really well. So uh, we hope you guys enjoy. We'll be back next week to record again. Uh, for now, I'm AJ checking out. Take care, guys. Peace. <laughs>